G'day. In this episode of the Stomp It podcast, I talk to Sam Naney, director of coaching at Uphill Athlete, a former elite cross-country skier, and is also the coach of Cody Townsend, who I am quite a fan of. We're going to talk about aerobic training and touch a little bit of strength training for basically uphill athletes or uh, ski mountaineering, skiing. This is not really fully focused on anyone who might follow me because of my freestyle background. Uh, for freestyle skiing, I guess it's most important to be somewhat flexible, really explosive and strong so you can take the impacts. Uh, while that is what I've been training in the past, that has not been enough to keep me fit, healthy and full of energy today. Um, Sadly, I'm rarely the happy person that you see on YouTube. When I make videos, I act as myself on my best days. Um, mostly that is acting, kind of, like being me, which is pretty easy, I know that. Uh, but I just sadly ever have that energy. I usually feel kind of crappy and sluggish. But, not when I was younger than I had awesome energy all the time. But thanks to my friend Marcus Boss at LP and he two years ago told me about the importance of low intensity training for improving my mitochondrial function and energy. And it has really worked. It makes me be that fun person Jens you see in my YouTube videos more often. That's why I'm kind of excited to share this video with you guys or podcast so that maybe you also try. Um, yeah, go for a slow run, ski tour, hike something, do a via ferrata, do anything. And um, I hope it'll benefit you as much as it has benefited me. Enough rambling now. Enjoy this conversation with Sam Naney. Good day, sir. Thank you so much you? for joining me today yeah i'm pretty good thanks i had a nice day nice little morning mountain bike ride today with some slippery routes it was rather exciting excellent i hear it's getting pretty hot over there yeah man it's been super hot how are you over there in uh, washington state good very well yeah we uh we have summertime in full force here as well it's gotten quite warm so most of the uh much of the snow that we could be skiing on through late spring is melting away and leading to more uh, more alpine rock climbing and trail running. Well, that sounds pretty rad. Here, the snow is also <laughs> mostly gone. Um, so, is that your main sport in the summer? Trail running and some rock climbing. Yeah, yeah, mostly. You know, it, it just any sort of movement through the mountains, technical technical climbing and running and. Uh, yeah, it, finding finding new routes over terrain. That's that's the that's the way I like to like to move around here when we can't be skiing. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. my first time interviewing someone like this, almost like a podcast. Uh, maybe it'll be one of those too. Who knows? It feels fun, at least. <laughs> I'm like pretty stoked. On yeah, this. no, it's having the conversations are always a good time. Yeah. Uh, so then, um, then I'll just get started with kind of saying hi to you. Um, yeah, please. Uh, perfect. Hey, Samuel. Uh, great to have you on uh, the show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your background in mountain sports? 
Yeah. Um, so my name is Sam Naney, and I grew up in the Pacific Northwest uh, in the United States. Um, much of my childhood growing up, uh, I got involved in cross-country skiing and used that as a way to uh, be in the outdoors and then also lots of rock climbing and mountain biking and uh, skiing in the backcountry. But cross-country skiing was really my my main pursuit for uh, through my teenage years and then into my 20s, I raced on the professional circuit um, in, on, in the U.S. and, and some in Europe. Um, and during that time, I was being coached by Scott Johnston, who uh, later went on to write uh, training, for the, training for the New Alpinism and then Training for the Uphill Athlete uh, with Steve House. Uh, right there, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, I haven't read it yet. So I those... got it the day before the 4,000 meter project. Yeah, sorry. Oh, nice, perfect. <laughs> All right, so you're you're on track now. It's uh, yeah. So a lot of it was it was a great opportunity, and Scott was a fantastic coach and a close friend when when we were working together for my ski racing. And and during that time, we ended up sort of indirectly uh, experimenting with and and exploring a lot of the training ideas that ended up creating the foundation for those books along with the work that he did extensively with Steve for Steve's alpinism. And so when they launched uh, Uphill Athlete, the business, uh, it was an opportunity for me to step more into a coaching role after my athletic career uh, and and work with mountain athletes, skiers, runners, uh, mountaineers of all stripes. Uh, so yeah, I, I retired from ski racing when I was about 30 years old, about seven years ago, and now just enjoy getting out, do a lot of backcountry skiing, uh, rock climbing in the summertime, a lot of trail running, uh, and yeah, raising a family here in the in the mountains of the Northwest. It sounds like you're a lucky man. <laughs> yeah, I count myself fortunate, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it has a lot of advantages being fit, and um, I think it just gives you a good life, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's having, having a base of fitness from any number of endurance sports sort of gives you that, um, exactly. It gives you that foundation to where you can explore other ways to move through the mountains. Uh, but, and with that aerobic fitness, it gives you an, a tremendous leg up. You have durability, you have resilience. Uh, you can, you can just get more out of the time you spend. Yeah, I, um, I'm from northern Sweden myself, and uh, I could definitely have gone into cross-country skiing too. Uh, but uh-huh. I uh, ended up doing that just some every winter, like 10, 15 rounds of uh, cross-country skiing, because it was the only aerobic sport I enjoyed when I was young. Otherwise, I was just focusing on freestyle skiing, freestyle mountain biking, skateboarding. You get some aerobic fitness too there, but... Not to the same extent. And it's first now when I'm uh, uh, plus 30, I'm starting to get into being a bit fit because I started experiencing more fatigue and my energy wouldn't really be quite enough uh, without it. And by starting doing some uh, running and more ski touring and mountain biking, life was improving. And I hope to take it much further in the future. Yeah, absolutely. There are all all ways to, I think, Again, being able to move through the mountains in any different form, and especially when you can start combining those ways, you know, uh, 
fast on foot approaches to ski lines, skiing them, coming back down or involving climbing into it, any way that you can sort of mash all of that together, it just creates a more rich experience. Yeah. Um, how you can be philosophical if you want how what is the main difference as you see it between like a flat sport like running and um, ski mountaineering for example yeah well you know it sort of depends on on what we what we're looking at in terms of the specifics of each one uh you know because at the at the basic level whether you're running on flat terrain or you're skinning or booting up something steep in the mountains uh, with skis, you know, the, the base component of, of good aerobic fitness and, and muscular strength are, they're the same uh, in the sense that you need to have this, you know, a robust aerobic system, which is, you know, an ability to utilize oxygen to power your muscles essentially uh, in the most economical way possible using the least amount of fuel in your body. Uh, and that's, that, you know, the, the ability that you have to do that is going to be the same whether you're a fit uh, marathon runner or a fit ski mountaineer. And, and similarly with strength, with, with kind of foundational strength, if you have good, good movement, uh, you know, the, the muscles that you're using for the sport are capable of withstanding fatigue and, and going for longer and longer periods, uh, that, you know, those components are going to contribute whether you're running on flat or going mm -hmm. uphill. The differences come in uh, in terms of the specificity of movement. So obviously, you know, a runner on flat terrain is going to have a high cadence. Uh, their 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 technique is going to look different than a ski mountaineer uh, who's climbing up a really steep couloir, for instance, um, with their skis on their back. Their cadence is a lot lower. Their speed is a lot lower. Uh, so the requirements in terms of how you're moving are different, but the but the underlying you know, foundation, that is that that aerobic capacity, your you know we call, we call it endurance, uh, both aerobically and also muscularly, uh, are are equally important in both cases. Mm -hmm. So it comes perhaps more down to training a wee bit differently for me, that's more interested in booting up a couloir versus a marathon runner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and the way we often think about training is you identify what your objective is so for instance you know a, approaching and climbing up and skiing a big line in the mountains versus running a marathon and sort of work backward from what that objective is we identify the things that you need to have in place to do that objective so if, if you're a ski mountaineer you need to have good leg strength you need to certainly have that that endurance to go for a long time uh, you need to have good ski technique mm -hmm. um And, and and the muscular strength to carry the load on your back, uh, move up in the vertical terrain. And then we work backward, again, back to those foundational components, which are the aerobic fitness components and the basic muscular strength. And at a certain point in time prior to your objective, the training that you do might look very similar to the training that a marathon runner would do. It might be involved, you know, especially if you're building fitness from a, from a, a more basic place, It might involve a lot of running on flat ground because that's the way that you can train at a low enough intensity to build that aerobic fitness. And then as mm -hmm. you get fitter, the training that you do toward that ski mountaineering objective starts to look more like the objective itself. Maybe we start incorporating more uphill terrain. You start doing uh, fast hikes uphill with a pack on, for instance. 
so those things do start to take on more of a specific look. Uh, but again, at the at the beginning stages, you know, I often have skiers uh, in the in the early summer, in the late spring or early summer. I have a lot of the skiers that I coach doing flat and and sort of rolling terrain running because it's a great way to build fitness. It doesn't it doesn't put a huge load on them by going up steep hills, so they can maintain an aerobic effort without working too hard, and build that base of fitness that we can use later on. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a nice range of uh, pulse to build aerobic fitness, in your opinion? Yeah, that so that's a it's a great question and sort of the the, the integral point to, to training really well aerobically, uh, and it's and it's very individual. Mm-hmm. So there's we use a couple of different methods to help people determine what their appropriate. Uh, what we call the aerobic threshold, uh, which is an, a sort of an intensity that we define by heart rate that people can use to go and, and train uh, in, in, in an endurance sport to build that aerobic capacity. Uh, and there are a couple of different ways you can identify that aerobic threshold. Uh, athletes can go to an actual uh, physiology lab. And you've probably seen videos or pictures of people running on a treadmill with a mm-hmm. breathing mask and a technician on the side watching a computer. Uh, so that that can give you a very accurate look at what basically it's looking at what your body is burning in terms of in terms of carbohydrates or fats. Um, and but that's obviously a bit more involved and uh, more expensive to do. Uh, another method that we use is to basically take what we would consider to be an, an educated estimate of what someone's aerobic threshold is and then test that on a, on a treadmill uh, and have them do a sustained period on a treadmill uh, and watch how their heart rate uh, drifts basically over time at a fixed speed and grade uh, and try to, try to isolate a heart rate that minimizes the amount of that upward drift of intensity. Um, mm-hmm. And, and by doing so we can help find that heart rate. But the, You know, at, at the most basic level, like the, the simplest explanation is to say that for most people, uh, when you start training for these endurance sports, the intensity that you need to train at is probably going to feel easier than you're used to, uh, because mm-hmm. most of us, especially those of us that are that are that are, that are inclined toward these sports, we like to work hard. You know, we like to we like <laughs> to push ourselves. We like to feel the effort, and and so it's really our our inclination is to to go at whatever effort. Uh, feels like we're working, right? For if we're going out for an hour or for three hours, we want to feel like we got a really good effort in, and quite often that means we're probably working a little too hard to most effectively build an aerobic base. Uh, so determining this that aerobic threshold heart rate that we're talking about is is really critical to sort of having that long term perspective. Um, can you trust, for example? Uh, I use a, a Garmin thing with its standard uh, calculation for the heart rate zones. Um, I try to do a couple of hours a week in the second zone, the blue zone, where I think I build this and <laughs> base yeah. aerobic. <laughs> um, yeah, you me- know, it's, uh, it's it, yeah, it's tricky again because it's it's so individual. I mean, there there are sort of some some basic guidelines that we can use uh, in terms of you know, an athlete's age and their, their athletic history. Uh, we can make, again, this, this educated guess on what their heart rate for at aerobic threshold might be mm-hmm. before we do more extensive tests. 
Um, but but it's it's not it doesn't tend to be reliable. The 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 watches, the smart watches that are out there, uh, do a very good job of measuring heart rate, uh, primarily when you use the check strap. Uh, the wrist, the wrist monitors that come with the watches are pretty unreliable. Uh, they don't, they don't give a good representation of of the actual heart rate at a given an instantaneous heart rate. Um, and similarly, the the zone calculations that are used in the watch operate off of a pretty general uh, range, and mm-hmm. so they might. Do they might give you a rough approximation, but they're not going to be nearly as accurate as as doing an individual test that represents what your intensity is and what your um, aerobic fitness is at the time. All right, um, thank you for that. So not so trustworthy. The yeah, basic settings on a watch like that, or maybe Strava or such things. Um, so in the beginning training for mountain sports you say it would be rather similar to a marathon you need to build that aerobic capacity uh, so run for example or bike at slow speed yeah or, yeah and you know and, and really it's especially in sort of the the foundation stages as you're as you're looking to build aerobic fitness maybe you haven't done a lot of structured training before um you can do a lot of different things to make that to help that process go as you say you can go biking you can uh, go hiking. You can uh, do running. Um, I think running is a really effective tool for building fitness, um, but it's also important to, if you haven't run before, to start really gradually. Uh, mm-hmm. I often encourage athletes to do sort of a run-walk uh, progression. So run for 30 seconds, walk for a minute. You know, mm-hmm. gradually build up because the your muscles and uh, and your the 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 tissue that supports your joints. Uh, need to basically get adjusted to the impact of running and you want to do that carefully so that you don't incur injury uh, but but exactly I mean you can do you can uh, go for bike rides you can go hiking you can go swimming you can do running any sort of these ways in which you can maintain that heart rate that aerobic threshold which as you say is especially if you're getting started will probably mean you're going relatively slow uh, that's going to help you in building that fitness base. And, and then what you'll see over time is that you will be able to be going faster uh, in whatever activity you're doing while maintaining that same heart rate because your body is going to become more economical. It's going to get better at using a given amount of fuel to, uh, to do work. Uh, and so just like a car that, uh, you know, a more economical car that can use a given mm. amount of fuel to go a certain distance, your body is going to get more economical using the same amount of fuel to go further. Mm-hmm. And that is best built in this uh, low intensity running. Yeah, exactly. Low intensity something. And, and you know, running, running is great because especially if you're an athlete that is doing uh, any sort of activity on foot. Uh, whether it's uh, running itself or if it's hiking or, or, or skiing and, and, and climbing on skis, uh, being uh, moving bipedally you know, on, on your feet is going to be more specific and beneficial. Um, riding a bike is a, is, a, is a really useful way to get yourself into that heart rate zone, but uh, the limitation of riding a bike if your ultimate goal is to uh, climb mountains, whether on, you know, on foot or on skis, the limitation of a bike is that it's so mechanically advantaged and you're sitting uh, that it doesn't put the same load on your body. And and so eventually you do need to transition away from the bike onto something that looks more like the activity that you want to do. 
Makes completely sense. Um, when I coach freestyle skiing, yeah, I obviously try to make every exercise we do be as closely related to what uh, the final goal is. If it's a cool trick or yeah, a nice maneuver. Yeah, yeah. Um, specificity. Yeah. It makes uh, 100% sense that uh, biking is not ideal. It's just so darn fun blasting down these Swiss mountains <laughs> on it. <laughs> it is. Well, and that, you know, and that's the thing that I, that I always encourage people to remember is that, you know, the reason we train is to do the things that we love and be able to do more of them and, and go, go farther into the mountains. And so, you know, even if you are a ski mountaineer or if you're a trail runner and, in a training sense, the, the, you know, being more specific in training for those activities is going to be helpful. I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to just stop biking. You know, if you love to mountain bike, then you know, keep that in, in your regimen because it's so much fun and that's why we do all this stuff. And, and the, the best thing you can do is just recognize the relative benefits and, and potential drawbacks of all the things that you do and try to fit them into this complete package and with regard to how you're preparing for your ultimate objective. Mm-hmm. Now this makes perfect sense, and um, let's say I have a feeling there's a, a great number of people that are a little bit similar to me, who is just out doing the sports they love. I go ski touring as often as I can in the winter, summer, hike, bike, uh, climb, and uh, with not so much structure. More than I quite enjoy this low intensity training, so I think I have a decent capacity. But now for me to push myself further into the mountains, um, I don't really know how to move forward. Um, I read a little bit on your website and I, I like the sandcastles metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, well, basically what we're, what we're trying to do is build this, again, we talk about the idea of a base and... But, you know, you can think about it as a sandcastle, think about it as, you know, a, simply a house. Uh, but in, in whatever we want to do, that base, which is comprised of that aerobic work uh, that we do, that training at that low intensity, the bigger that base of support, the better we can build things on top of it. And, and those things we build on top of it might be... Um, you know, power, uh, muscular power to be able to, to move faster, uh, to, or to cover more terrain in a given amount of time. Uh, it could be, you know, specific, these specific elements of, of technique, whether you're skiing or biking and speed, those, those different components, but you need to have the, the capacity, uh, to do that work. Uh, and so if you, again, if you think about the metaphor of a, of a sandcastle or, or a house, if, if your aerobic base is really small uh, or, or really brittle, not very, not very secure, then anything you try to do on top of that is going to risk collapsing the whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it has to be done in sequence, building that, building that base, and then, and then from there continuing to go up. And, and as you say, it's, like, it's great to be able to do all of these different sports throughout the year, uh, but inevitably i think for most of us as we get more excited about uh particular activities you know going deeper into the mountains to ski a big line uh or or climbing a taller peak that requires a longer approach the requirements to do those things get 
more significant. And so we have to become more structured in how we do our work. It, 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 it no longer is, is enough to kind of just pick and choose activities throughout the week as, as they fit into our routine. We need to be a little bit more structured, think more about a long-term plan and see particularly how it can progress uh, that is, you know, building in terms of your the total volume of training that you're doing, uh, building in terms of the types of intensity that you're using, um, primarily in that aerobic zone, but also uh, selectively using higher intensity, which can be really beneficial to build muscular power and speed. Uh, so, I mean, it really, yeah, again, it really comes down to thinking uh, in, in sort of the long term and thinking about how you can progress the work that you do and continue uh, really carefully stressing your body uh, and and recovering and, and stressing and recovering over time to mm-hmm. make more resilient. Um, that um, I'm going to try to. It, it, it ju- I just love this article on your website. I'll add a link to it in the description. Uh, they call it model of endurance uh, sandcastles, where it basically said you have. Uh, that basic endurance we've been talking about for a while is basically dry sand. If you just sprinkle that kind of in one place, after a while it's going to be like a pyramid. But you got to sprinkle mm-hmm. an awful lot of sand to make it kind of much bigger. It gets kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. But then they said you can add water to it, which is high-intensity training. So if you add a little bit of water to it, you can make it steeper and taller so your fitness becomes higher. And then you can add expertise, so the skill of skiing or running efficiently, and you can shape it even even higher. And I uh, I love that thing, but I don't really know how to add that high intensity training and um, how much. But uh, I thought it was a brilliant article you guys had written there. Yeah, no, I, it, I think the metaphor is really good. I believe that was uh, one of our coaches, Scott Semple, who wrote that, who is a, a very accomplished ski mountaineer and, and alpinist. And and the idea is, is exactly that. You know, so you can you can build this aerobic base, and an aerobic base is the critical piece to being an endurance athlete and being a mountain athlete. Uh, but if you want to progress, if you want to be able to go farther in the mountains, uh, go faster in the mountains, you do need to add that intensity. And, and there are a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, you know, there's a tra- a traditional uh, interval style training uh, that, is, mm-hmm. that has become really popularized, you know, high intensity interval training and different methods. Uh, but it can take many forms. Um, you know, we'll often, and, and again, it depends on the nature of the activity. So if you're a, uh, a marathon or a half marathon runner, then the, the type of intensity you need to do really needs to represent uh, going running fast and and building your ability to extend that running speed. Uh, if you're a ski mountaineer, obviously the speed at which you're moving, uh, well, and and thinking ski mountaineer separate from ski mountaineering racing. So we're talking backcountry skiing or free skiing. Uh, the speed at which you're moving is obviously going to be a lot slower than. And what a marathon runner needs, and so the intensity that you want to work on may help build muscular endurance. So uh, essentially, the ability to be carrying your pack, your skis, perhaps breaking trail if you're booting up a steep couloir, and be able to do that for longer without getting overcome by fatigue. Uh, pace is certainly helpful. You want to be moving at a certain rate. But the objective isn't necessarily going as fast as possible. It's about being able to sustain over a long period and a lot of vertical terrain. 
mm-hmm. so the, the intervals that you might do to train that upper end fitness for, for that activity of ski mountaineering is, are going to look different than what the marathon runner does to get faster in the marathon. How could that look for someone like me? And uh, now when I did that, uh, my first 4,000 meter peak, uh, the first day we, it was just 800 vert with a pretty heavy pack, skis and uh, boots on the backpack uh, in sneakers, 20 degrees Celsius hot. Um, that was rather sweaty and a steep trail. Um, and um, how would I train to get better at such things? Um, are yeah. you suggesting like interval training uh, in such a setting or just doing it at a high well, uh, pace? Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, again, uh, I'll always come back to the idea that for a certain period of time, the best gains that you can make is to build are, are to build your aerobic fitness. Uh, but at a certain point each year, we need to decide, okay, we've, we've done an ample amount of work in the aerobic fitness realm, and now we're going to add in some intensity some some higher intensity and your body needs to be able to to absorb that and to recover from it and just as an example of something that you might you might do for for training for you know these uh, a climb of a 4000 meter peak um i might have you do something like four times five minutes uh uphill uh at at an intensity that uh, around what we would call the anaerobic threshold so we so we have we have two threshold, two intensity thresholds that we think about. The first is your aerobic threshold, which is what we've been talking about. It's that sort of optimal point to train your aerobic fitness. It's uh, maximizing the utilization of fats as, as fuel. And as you go up in intensity, you start working harder, you reach a second threshold, which is known as your anaerobic threshold, or sometimes the last steady state. And that's the point where you're burning more carbohydrates uh, than fat at that point. And when you burn carbohydrates, there's a process uh, in your body where you're, uh, there's basically a, a, a byproduct that, that comes out of that, that carbohydrate production uh, known as uh, lactate. And that lactate will circulate back, back through the body and we can use it as fuel. But if we don't effectively use it, use all of it, uh, it'll accumulate and and it, through various processes that basically starts to uh, create fatigue the muscles. Uh, the the balance in your muscles starts to get a bit upset and and we feel we feel fatigued and we slow down. So this anaerobic threshold is a point at which you are producing that lactate, but it's getting reused in your body at basically the same rate that you're producing it. So there's so there's this balance point, as we say, the steady state. And that's a really effective place to train for these longer endurance events because you're obviously operating at a higher effort. Uh, you're 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 producing more power from your muscles, uh, but it's it's sustainable. It's 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 an effort that you might be able to go at for sixty to ninety minutes. Uh, and so that would be that would be an effort that I might suggest to you to go and do a good long warm up. And then maybe do four or five times five minutes uphill at that intensity, and so it's it's not all out. It's not a maximal effort. Uh, it's something where, but it's something where you're moving at a pretty good rate, and and over time, when you do that workout, you can uh, add time to the to the on time. So maybe you do five by six minutes the next week. Uh, you can also add intervals. So maybe you do you know then you do six by six minutes. You know six by seven minutes. Um, there there are a lot of different ways you can. Sort of tweak these different dials 
for how to how to create that intensity effect. But particularly for uh, for athletes who are looking at longer objectives, you know, something in excess of a couple of hours, uh, and certainly you know five, six, eight hour long efforts, you know, that's that's a really effective uh, training intensity to utilize because it it helps produce this this muscular power, this muscular endurance effect that we're looking mm-hmm. to to train. Cool. I'm actually looking forward to trying doing one of these. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll do four times five minutes the first time. I'm gonna run up that mountain next to me. Uh, is it fine to do like a trail uphill for this, uh, or do you recommend having a pack and more hiking or steep running? Yeah. So I would. What I what I tend to do is try to think about all the different loads that that we or stresses that we apply and and apply them selectively one at a time so when you first start doing that sort of intensity i wouldn't use a pack uh i would use you know it's it's okay to use uphill terrain uh because the the vertical gain the 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 steepness is going to create an effect on those muscles it's going to be specific uh but it's definitely going to help raise that heart rate up to the intensity you're looking for Uh, and then after you've done workouts like that for several weeks and you've built your ability to go faster, then you could consider adding weight, uh, because Mm -hmm. that has a degree of specificity to it. When you're doing these climbs, you probably have a pack on, you're carrying your skis. Um, but I don't generally recommend that people start with weight because what that will do is obviously when you put weight on, it slows you down. And Mm -hmm. so if you start doing the intervals with weight on, you're going to end up doing the intervals at a slower pace. And, and your body is going to learn whatever it is that you impose upon it. So it's going to learn that, okay, that slower pace is where I need to operate. Whereas what we want to do is train your speed first. We want to get you moving fast. And then as moving faster, then put a small amount of weight on and try to get as close to that speed that you've already been doing uh, through as with that new weight. And then gradually add more weight, try to keep the speed the same or close to it. Uh, so that we're always paying attention to the fact that you're moving as fast as possible, whether you have weight on or not. Perfect. Um, I don't know. It gets me a little fired up to run up this hill at that pace. I think it's going to um, suck. I, I don't love being at that high <laughs> p- pulse. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm born with your genes of uh, being that person who wants to suffer. Um, but I'm getting more and more into it. As the, the fit you yeah. get is unbelievable how much less it sucks to be at the high poles for a long time once you've gotten yeah. decently fit, like what I think I am right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, there's never, it's difficult to completely avoid the suffering, right? But uh, you come to appreciate it more. You know, it's, uh, I think what we've all felt when we're not, when we don't have that base of fitness is that suffering, is just sort of permeates throughout the entire activity but as you get fitter you can you can find more of an optimal uh, place of, of output where where you're working hard but it feels good you feel like you're moving uh, and then you can always push the throttle a little bit you can work a little bit harder and then dial back and push harder and dial back uh, so I think I think fitness as you say, it doesn't it doesn't eliminate the suffering, but it makes it something where we can control it a little bit more, and that I think is is a real a real advantage uh, when you're moving through the mountains. It just gives you more more control, and and 
you know, what we really talk about a lot too with, with mountain athletes is that the fitter you are, the safer you, you can be, uh, obviously it doesn't account for everything, but, uh, to be fit gives you flexibility and gives you mm-hmm. durability. Oftentimes when we're in the mountains, there's a, there are a lot of things that can come up unexpectedly, uh, objective hazard, um, unexpected injury, uh, circumstances that change our change the, the plan. And, and if you have fitness, you can be adaptable to that. You, know, you can, uh, you can move faster to get through a certain piece of terrain that's potentially hazardous or if weather is moving in that you want to get out of. Uh, if you have an incident where you need to perform a rescue, you need to get out of the mountains really quickly, having fitness to do so, to maybe carry extra weight or, you know, at, in worst case scenarios, help a partner out of the mountains. You know, having the fitness and strength to do that it can, it can be critical. It can be the difference between something tragic and, and some, you know, an avoidance of that. So it's, it's something that's not just about being able to enjoy the process better or, or achieve an outcome faster. It, it also provides a great deal of safety to, to us moving the mountains. Yeah, and I felt how my fitness this winter was lacking twice, where it was making my journey in the mountains more dangerous that I was perhaps the least fit person in the group. Uh, When it was kind of safe, when we were approaching the peak of this Gran Paradiso, I was starting to feel a bit tired and kind of want to slow the pace down but i didn't want to be a chicken so i didn't tell the guy i was like fuck it let's suffer for a bit up here we're almost there it went easier than i thought but it was getting hard and my balance was feeling a little wobbly and i thought oh that's not so good you know if this would be exposed which it wasn't at the time at the top it was exposed but then i had time to you know breathe a little and the balance was back but i also did my first um uh Ski mountain anything with ice axe and crampons this winter. Joined some friends. It was kind of exposed. It was kind of, you f- shouldn't fall situation. And we had been moving really fast from early in the morning, for my pace, taste at least. And I was feeling like, shit, it would have been nice to be fitter now because this is pretty dangerous right now. And um, mm-hmm. for those reasons, especially, I think I want to learn to train better for those situations, just like you said give you a bit yeah. of a greater margin for error. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Both physically and mentally, right? Because if you know, we all know that when we get tired, it's more difficult to uh, make decisions, to, to be thinking rationally. You know, our brain requires uh, energy as well. It requires fuel. And so the, you know, when, you, when you start fatiguing your muscles, the, the body is having to make decisions about where to send that fuel. And if we're, if we're really fatigued and we're standing the mountains in, in a potentially hazardous place trying to make decisions, uh, then the more fatigued we are, the more difficult it is to, to evaluate all those circumstances and make rational calls. Uh, so having, having that, that base of fitness, that reserve, isn't just helpful from the physical standpoint. It's also really critical from a decision-making standpoint, risk assessment, uh, and and all those factors that are so critical in, in being in the mountains. Yeah, fun point. I'm happy you brought that up. Um, but on top of uh, doing lots of that low-intensity training and then some of that higher-intensity training, like four times five minutes, for example, would you like to add anything mm-hmm. else to a person in my situation? To my training program yeah yeah i um so strength 
strength training is really critical. Uh, and there, there are many different, just like intensity training, there are a lot of different ways to tackle strength training. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at a certain point, we're building strength by doing the activity itself. So when you're, when you're skinning uh, up, up on the mountainside on, in, the, in the winter mm-hmm. or when you're, when you're booting up a steep couloir, there's, there's strength that's happening there. You're, you're, there's a training effect that takes place. Mm-hmm. But what, what is also really helpful is in the in the training season in the in the season preceding your activity doing some work again to lay a foundation uh that that principle again of building the base uh with with strength exercises uh, that focus on you know, single leg strength and particularly supportive strength so the you know, training those those smaller muscles that uh that support our joints that support single leg balance and movement uh allow you to then go and do that harder work uh, and, and, and be supported in it because oftentimes what we face in not being strong enough is a risk of injury. And, and so what we want to do in the preseason, in addition to building that aerobic fitness is to build strength that's going to support our, our bones and, mm-hmm. and our muscles from getting, uh, so to be, to be very flexible is to be very strong, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so doing, doing strength training leading up to the, your objective is really critical. And, and just like, as I said, intensity training, there are a lot of different ways to perform strength. Uh, mm-hmm. and it, and it really, it depends on the activity. It depends on the history of the athlete. Uh, but for example, we, for, for the last year or so, we've been working with a physical therapist out of Chamonix. Uh, who has done a tremendous job with helping us uh, to create a strength series we call Shamani Mountain Fit. Uh, that is a, it's a video series that, that you can find on our website that does a really good job with uh, training exactly these principles of single leg strength and balance and mobility and functional movement that then you can take onto the trail or onto the skin track and, and build upon in a more specific way. Uh, so that, you know, if, if you do nothing else, doing strength training like that is going to really help you in being more resilient again against against injury and, and just being able to do your training better. Yeah, as a freestyle skier, I've always been doing the strength part of this training, but very little aerobic fitness in the past. It's just so nice, but I always did more like normal back squats, front squats, deadlifts, um, made sure I had really yeah strong legs back decent core uh, but i noticed you say yeah. single leg strength often are we then talking like stepping up on a box for example or lunges yeah, yeah exactly yep yep stepping up on a box uh lunges uh split squats uh and then even dynamic movement i'll so, have so athletes like jumping on one foot on either side yep yep exactly uh, so that, and that would be more like a plyometric or an explosive type strength. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but again, when we think about the activities that we're doing, you know, running, ski touring, uh, freestyle skiing, uh, any of these things, we're not, we're not standing on two feet at the same time. Even, even when you're skiing, you know, you're waiting one foot or the other, uh, depending on the turn, depending on the terrain. So we really want to make sure that we're strong on one leg. And, mm-hmm. and that's where, you know, ac- exercises like you're talking about, you know, back squats or deadlifts are, are really, really valuable for training what we call the prime movers, you know, the big muscle groups in our lower legs. Uh, but at a certain point, we also want to train, again, those, those smaller muscles that support the stability of a single leg. Uh, so it's, 
it's sort of it's covering all our bases uh, in terms of in terms of providing that again injury resistance and functional movement. Okay, so I shouldn't stop deadlifting and squatting. <laughs> no, keep it keep it up. Uh, yeah, just just make sure you've got the other pieces in there as well. Oh, it's great. I'm feeling psyched to having you motivate that a little bit further because I always found the single leg stuff a, l- a little bit on the boring side. Maybe I'm not creative yeah. enough. Uh, <laughs> or just the fact that it, it takes twice as long. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's similar to the low intensity aerobic training. It doesn't quite feel as sexy, you know, and it's powerful. <laughs> uh, but but you you kind of you, you put that work in the bank and then it's going to make you feel a lot better when you do go out and do those intervals or you are doing the objective where you're moving fast uphill uh, and and ultimately none of us want to get injured because getting injured sucks and so if you can do the work in advance to make you more functional so that you reduce the risk of injury that's just going to mean you're spending more time in the mountains absolutely agree with that uh, it is absolutely crucial I guess for everyone uh, in freestyle skiing, especially because we know that we're gonna take some hits on the hip, like fly twenty meters oh, yeah. and land on the hip. It's, uh... <laughs> well, and, and and that's that's the thing, you know. And you know, we didn't even mention. You know, I'm talking about you know single leg stability, but core strength, you know, and having having a really strong core, which is you know basically your trunk from your from your up here, and that you know the the ability to hold your body uh, upright and, and be really strong is crucial for, for all of these things, whether you're moving uphill or you're performing jumps and tricks and freestyle skiing, you need to have that strength to hold yourself taut and, and be in control of your movements. Because if you, if you imagine that your core is weak, it's like having your legs and your upper body separated by a, a, a wet spaghetti noodle. You know, and it just, it's just it's going to open you up for injury and, and, and other risks uh, if, if you don't strengthen that and have it be really firm and secure. Nice. Nice that you also chucked in some solid motivation there on core strength. I often see it with the freestyle skiers I coach sometimes that they could have had some more core strength. Uh, the balance gets all messed up when it's too bad. Yeah. I can imagine, yeah, particularly for freestyle skiing, it's it's a it, incredibly important component, yeah. Oh, just skiing in general as well, I guess any sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. That yeah. requires some strength. Uh, that was fun that we ended up there. Um, and um, so some strength training, we obviously just skimmed the surface there. It's a very, all of this is a very large subject, just like your book here, it's massive. Uh, or the uphill athlete book um, on the stamina side if we would go back there um, like for an intermediate person like me you know on a ski tour doing 1000 meters or 3000 feet up that's like not a big issue but I rarely do more than uh, or much more than that 1500 meters sometimes that's 4000 feet I guess um I don't like how much of all these components would you recommend in like a typical week, the low intensity, high intensity and a bit of strength? Yeah, no, great question. Uh, Tricky one. When, yeah, well, and and, you know, it's my answer to to some of these questions when people ask has to start with, it depends, right? Because it's all Mm -hmm. individual. Uh, But 
but what I, where I would start uh, with you in terms of determining your training is say, okay, well, what, what's the, what's the volume that you're doing right now? So let's say you're doing, you know, eight hours a week of, of activity, and on the majority of activity is aerobic effort, this low intensity, and then some of it is maybe higher intensity, maybe you know, maybe it's some strength training, maybe it's you know, riding riding your bike at a higher rate or or even doing some intervals. So in thinking about how to build that to go from being able to uh, confidently do you know a thousand meters of gain to two thousand or even you know even a, a three thousand meter day, a big day on skis, um, what you really need is to be able to build that build the total volume of training you're doing you need to your body needs to be able to handle a big load uh so that it can it can then you know, handle those those specific big loads on on skis and mountains so when you're adding volume to your training the predominant place to build that volume is the low intensity and and we talk mm-hmm. about you know when you're looking at your the the sort of separation of intensities you want you know 90, 90 plus percent of your total training volume to be at or below that aerobic threshold. Uh, that is that is really going to be the best bang for your buck. So if you're doing uh, you know ten hours a week of training, you want about nine hours of that training to be at or below that aerobic threshold at a at a pretty low intensity, and then the remain the remaining time might be occupied with some strength. Uh, could be some intensity training, uh, but but as you, what you start to see is that if you can add more aerobic hours, you know maybe now you're doing 12 hours uh, of total training, or or even up to 15 or 20 hours of total training. If if a, if the majority of that is aerobic, it still leaves you time to be able to add these more specific components of strength and high intensity. But the again sandcastle analogy or the the, the house foundation analogy, the bigger the base. The more the more work you're able to do, uh, mm-hmm. and and consequently the more the more recovery you need to make sure you build in. You need to you know, what we think about with training is that the the training, the actual activity that you do, uh, gets you tired, right? It fatigues you. Mm-hmm. It's the recovery process. It's resting after that training that actually gets you stronger, because the training itself makes you weak. Ultimately, it, it tires you out. It stresses mm-hmm. your body, and then when you recover well, your body adapts to that stress. Uh, so it, you know, imagine you know, as, as you mm-hmm. as you sort of bend and stress your body, let it recover, recover back strong. Yeah. So each time you train and recover, you get to the next step and you're a little bit stronger. So when you when things in terms of adding volume to your training, that's a good thing, provided the the majority of it is low intensity and provided that you incorporate recovery at regular intervals. And you know, an, an easy way to think about it that we often break down for athletes is. Spend three weeks of building your volume up with more activity, and then take a fourth week really easy. You know, maybe you lower the volume down to, uh, you know, lower it by 30 or 40 percent, and have a pretty easy week. Let your body fully recover, and then go back and do another three weeks of building volume. And you cycle your training like that, and you'll see yourself start to get stronger and more resilient. Sounds good. I totally wrote that up, so I can't, you know, start now with that. Um, yeah, ninety uh, percent below aerobic threshold. Yeah, that sounds all right. It's my favorite thing to do, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> kind of well, that or and, and the, what, the deadlift. 
Well, what you'll what you'll find again is that particularly when you start aerobic threshold and that low intensity training is going to feel pretty slow. Right? It's it's going to perhaps even be frustrating to have to move that slow. Maybe you're not able to go out with our, our friends as much because they hold back. I got to be at my aerobic threshold, but as you do it more, you're going to be able to move faster at that same effort. And, and what athletes find time and time again is that as they build their fitness, they can go and do the same activity and, and, and the same distance that they used to do at a higher intensity. Now they're doing it at a low intensity, but they're still doing it in the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to get to the point where spending, you know, 12, 15 hours at that low aerobic effort is still going to allow you to do a lot of the objectives that you want to do. Uh, and, and you're going to be doing them more economically. You know, be able to go longer, move faster for less effort. Nice. Yeah. I am um, currently doing about six hours of, yeah, biking, ski touring, not so much running. I struggle a little bit keeping the intensity down because when it's high, it just yeah. takes so long to recover, I've noticed. Um, yeah. Uh, at six hours currently, do you think I should keep going at that or like just increase that uh, low aerobic a bit more maybe? Or talking to you makes me think yeah. I should do that. Yeah, no, I think I think just <laughs> Yeah, I think add you know, each week, you know, think about you know, add add an hour. Uh, you know, add add about an hour each week uh, of that of low intensity aerobic training mm -hmm. and see how that feels, you know. Basically, what we want, what you want to think about when you're increasing your training volume, is do it in measurable ways, right? So if you're going to increase the volume one week, you know, add an hour of aerobic training, and then see how you feel. Uh, this is this is where things like keeping a training log or writing a, a training diary of how you're feeling is really helpful, because when you get to the end of a week or a couple week period of training, you can look back at your notes and see how you felt, how you absorbed that training, and that'll help inform what you should do moving forward. If you look back at your notes for a week and you know the previous four days all show, you know, I'm really tired, I can barely get out of bed, I'm exhausted, my muscles are sore, those are really good indications that you've reached the capacity of your body uh, in what it can absorb and you need to take a rest. And then, mm -hmm. so then you recover and you start again. Uh, but if you look back at that training diary and it's seeing, you know, I feel great, I'm handling the training well, I'm feeling strong, then you've got this ability to increase the volume a little bit. So having, again, just taking a systematic approach, looking at it in a long-term perspective is really going to be bring the greatest benefits. Sounds good. Uh, since uh, our time is almost up, could you summarize uh, rather quickly um, the core elements you've been telling me to do? Because uh, that would be really helpful for the, the final video on the what I learned from the 4,000 meter thing. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Uh, four elements. So I'd say the first, the first and most important piece in thinking about uh, preparing yourself better as an endurance athlete is to have a plan. So mm -hmm. move from just going out and exercising to thinking about training. So have a plan, you know, name your objective and then develop an approach toward it. That's number one. Second thing is to use uh, the idea of aerobic training as your primary goal. Uh, the majority of your training, 
percent or more of the volume of time that you're training should be in that aerobic zone. Uh, that is going to be the, the greatest bang for your buck. Uh, number three is to make sure that in addition to that aerobic capacity, you lay a really good foundation of strength. Uh, and, and strength includes not only those, those heavier, uh, heavier lifts like squats and deadlifts and building that big muscular strength, which is really valuable, but also doing the single leg strength, the balance, the mobility, these, the, what we call functional movement, so that your body knows how to move in a single leg way, in a, in a dynamic way that is going to sport, particularly. And then the, the fourth piece is to think about how you can sort of sharpen the knife uh, or, or increase your speed. Uh, so once you've got those other foundation pieces in place, you can start doing some selective high-intensity training and, and more specific workouts to get that speed and that, that power up to, up to a, a higher point. And, and when you put all those pieces together over the course of a training period, that's what's going to give you the greatest returns when you, when you get out on the slopes and you start targeting those bigger mountains. Love it. It really makes sense. And I'm... Um... Oh, I want to do this, but that uh, <laughs> the plan there is exciting. I'm, um, I think I can do it myself. Um, uh, but after yeah, this, no, we put it. Oh. Mm -hmm. No, I was just going to say, like that's you know that's the beauty of uh, you know what what's in the book, training for the uphill athlete is what we have on our website. We really wanted to make that information readily available for people so that you could go and, and create your own training plan. Uh, you know, we, we provide coaching services. We work with athletes one-on-one -on, -one on a daily basis to help support that process, to motivate, to encourage, uh, to create that plan. Uh, but it's it, what we also try to do is really uh, educate athletes so that you can go and do that process yourself and, and really own it. Uh, and it and it is it's motivating to to know that you've got this plan and know you have this process going forward. It makes you want to get out the door and just start charging it right away. Yeah, um, feels good. I, I learned a lot from this little call with you. It's been uh, really fun. Um, as a maybe last question, do you have any tips on how I could test my current uh, fitness myself? Anyone I could Google for yeah. and learn myself? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. You know, uh, one of the easiest ways to test your fitness uh, is to do what we call like an aerobic time trial. So, mo you know, pick a pick a route. If it's a trail or or just a an uphill an uphill route in your neighborhood uh, that you can define a clear start and end point. Mm -hmm. And go and do that route at your prescribed aerobic threshold heart rate. So it's, and you can do it as a maximal effort. You can go, you know, you can do that route as a time trial where you go as hard as possible, and and that can that can give you a, a, a baseline that you can retest. But it, the 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 flip side of doing an, an all out time trial is it's obviously it's more effort. It requires some recovery, and there's there's different factors that can come into play that might affect it. I think what, what can be really helpful is to do an aerobic time trial where you hold your heart rate at that aerobic threshold. You don't go above it for that entire distance of the route and then go back and test it every several weeks. And what you'll see is that by, you know, as you progress in your training, 
even by holding that heart rate at the same place, you're going to be going faster. And that's really going to be the best representation that you can find of how much you're improving, that you're keeping the same effort, you're using the same amount of fuel, but you're going faster on that terrain. And that is really what we're looking for. Great. Um, I have a quick funny story for anyone who's watching this later on. First, it was two years ago. I have a really good physio here. Uh, he told me, as you complain about fatigue, you should really double down on I didn't know what it was called at the time, aerobic fitness. And I learned to like learned to like it simply because it's not that hard work. You can have a nice conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And I biked up to this beautiful trail, Bargis. It's kind of gnarly. What I did this morning, and to keep the pulse that low as I'd been told, I had to bike so slowly, I almost tipped over. I was wobbling like a drunk person across the street. And then just within a few weeks, I could maintain some speed. Uh, it, it was great. Yeah. Um, and that's just how I accidentally did one of these aerobic time trials you mentioned now. Uh, brilliant. Uh, since you mentioned uh, several times that aerobic threshold, how can a newbie at home figure out more accurately than a Garmin or Suntu can do? Uh, how can we figure that out ourselves without having to go to a big lab? Yeah, so the, uh, there is a decent estimate that you can make uh, where you essentially take 180 and subtract your age. So if you're 30 years old, then that would be 180 minus 30, 150 heart rate. And that can give you a rough estimate of what your aerobic threshold uh, would be. Uh, to be. To get more accurate than that, you can do, again, what we call an aerobic threshold drift test. And there's, uh, we have articles on our website at Uphill Athlete where you can go and, and learn how to do that. It's, it's, pretty, it's quite simple to do. Uh, mm -hmm. You can use a treadmill, ideally, to do that test. Uh, and that can get you an even more accurate representation of what that heart rate is. Uh, but, but what we found is this 180 minus your age, which is known as a maximal aerobic function uh, number, is, 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 is a pretty effective way to determine that heart rate. And it's a great starting point. Great. So 147. Yeah, that's quite a pleasant. That that feels like some work. That's a bit higher than uh, where the third zone starts on a Garmin standard. It's more uh, in line with what Strava uh, has as their uh, first or, or their second pulse zone. Thank you very much for that. Um, mm -hmm. I hope to do maybe that um, that test, uh, the the drift test. Yeah. It sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm so excited. I almost want to go running now, but I've already done an, uh, one hour of uphill biking today, so I'm all, I'm all good <laughs> for today. You just have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> yes, and that's the best part of uh, working on aerobic fitness, that you can do it so often. Yep, exactly. That that's the idea is and and the the mantra that we try to impart to people is the idea of frequency and duration. So doing uh, doing aerobic training more frequently and gradually increasing the duration of which you do it. So frequency and duration as you as you build your training in an aerobic way. Frequency and duration. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to work on that. Dude, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, helping me get more fit for my future ski mountaineering objectives and more adventures. 
Yeah, you're welcome. No, happy to happy to have the chat. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, and uh, you guys will be watching. Check out Uphill Athlete. They also have a YouTube channel and their website. Really do have some fantastic resources uh, that can help you understand how and why you should do certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Uh, I may email you in the future, let you know how I get on, if, I, if I'm getting any fit. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I hope so. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Perfect. Yeah, well, that's that for this interview, I think. That was fun. All right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jens. It was great to, great to meet you and, uh, and chat a bit about training. <laughs>